0: Well, hello and welcome back to the Alternative Ideas podcast. I'm your co-host, David Rathemeyer, and I'm joined by my co-host, Jonathan Brush. Uh, Jonathan, for those who might be new joining us for this uh, podcast for the first time, give everyone just a quick overview of what we're doing here on the podcast.
1: Yeah, welcome everybody. This is Alternative Ideas, and it's a deliberate playoff of AI because David and I kind of woke up one day and thought, hmm, this AI thing's gonna be a big deal, whether you like it or not. And uh, there's some things to be scared of and some things to be excited about and a lot of things to be aware of. And so as a team and as individuals, as we start trying to work through, what does this mean? Um, We thought that might be an interesting discussion to share with you. And there really is that kind of a feel to it. Uh, This is us trying uh, deliberately to stay on top of what's going on in the AI world as it pertains to especially education in our business And then try to interpret that in a way that makes sense so that we use what we can use correctly and that we can be aware of the things that we ought to be slightly worried about. Um, And as you can see, we've got two slightly different perspectives here from even just a generational standpoint. So, yeah. All right. Uh, so with that introduction, uh, we could go ahead and
0: dive right in here. So, uh, Jonathan, you found a, uh, a piece of news about uh, a new AI product that is coming from Dropbox, which, uh, to be honest, if you had asked me to name a company that is going to be creating uh, AI products, Dropbox was not high on my list. So uh, give me an overview of uh, what you understand this to be.
1: Yeah, so first of all, if you're not familiar with Dropbox, it's a company that you pay them, and then they back up basically everything on your computer to the cloud. And I've used them for years. Um, I I definitely got a lesson many years ago. I was in San Antonio and my laptop was stolen. And I had just started to use Dropbox, which was really great. And so between Dropbox and Evernote, what was interesting was that getting my laptop stolen was a pain and it was annoying and offensive. But uh, what I did was I bought a new laptop, and literally within 30 minutes after buying the new laptop, everything that I had had before was back again. Yeah, that was kind of my introduction to, oh, this this is really helpful. So I've used Dropbox for a long time, really like them as a company. It allows you to share documents easily. But again, it backs everything up and so you can find it. Um, What caught my attention was Dropbox announced something called Dropbox Dash. And on the simplified side, it's a way to search your content in Dropbox through AI. Now, the way they initially kind of pitched this is that Instead of trying to sort all your files and put them into all these different folders and keep them organized, you basically can just drop it into a box, like literally just throw everything in there. And then you can sort it by asking AI to get it for you. Mm. So, you know, David, I, we could record this file. I could stick it in Dropbox and I could just stick it in the master folder instead of having to fit, set it in the, put it in the alternative ideas episode four folder or something like that. And then all hmm. I would have to do is I would have to go and ask AI, uh, give me the alternative ideas episode four file. Or I might even say, give me the alternative ideas file where David and I talked about Dropbox. Um, You know, there'd be a a lot of depth Hmm. of being able to search. So for me, as somebody who's not super organized, there's something really attractive to being able to just throw everything into one pile and be able to sort it back out. But David, here's where it gets really fascinating. There is some hints that Dropbox would go a little farther on this and that you could actually ask AI to – create content based on what is in your Dropbox. Now, in this case, Ooh. the example that they show on their website is that uh, you could say, what are our company's objectives for this coming year? And then you see the AI chat box uh, saying, the company's objectives are divided into three pillars, pillar one, pillar two, and pillar three. Now, the, it's obviously pulling that from documents that's in Dropbox. Huh. But to me, this is where it gets really exciting. There's a lot of talk about writers trying to use Drop GPT to give them drafts and things like that. But I have major problems with that. The first major problem is I don't want my content going out there, you know, for the rest of the world to use in some sort of ChatGPT's database. Uh, I feel like there's a problem there. And secondly, I don't really want, I I don't feel like it's my writing if ChatGPT pulled it from the entire internet and then I edited it. Uh, There's some places where that might be appropriate and helpful, but it's not, I don't think it's ethical to pass that off as my writing. But it's fascinating to think about if I wrote 20 blog posts and 15 essays and a book, and I put all of that in Dropbox, and then I asked Dropbox to give me a thousand words on alternative higher education. Well, Hmm. I would get a thousand words that all come exclusively from my own content. Now, I find that to be really intriguing and interesting um, in terms of what might be able to be done with that. And honestly, this kind of personal AI that is limited only to my own content is something that I've been really interested in. But I wondered about it as something like maybe I could put on my phone or something like this. And here's Dropbox saying that they might be able to use it and it would pull only from my own files. Now... Just like everything, there's two sides of this coin. Obviously, there's really big idea uh, questions about privacy mm-hmm. and, you know, how much access this has to the things and all that kind of stuff, which is really important. But unlike some places, Google is not making many promises about privacy they're obviously trying to get everybody's information out there. Dropbox's mm-hmm. entire business model is built on privacy. Um, so that doesn't make them perfect, but it makes means that they're starting from a place a little closer to where you'd want to be. So I found that interesting. This is a positive story for the most part with some cautions. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm really intrigued where this might go. And I could see this being extremely useful in lots of different ways. If, if just the simple way to, to find the stuff and to really solve a lot of time, mm-hmm. both st- organizing and finding things. But if it was something you could search your own content and build documents out of it, I think that would be really fascinating. Yeah,
0: yeah. This this has a lot of potential. That This is super interesting. Uh, I mean, initially, just from the uh, concept of being able to index all of your files for you and just sort all of your files for you, that's already fantastic. Because right. that way you don't have to uh, – at least I spend a lot of time trying to reorganize off my files in a way that makes sense. And so if I just have an or AI find that's a document.
1: Able- Right. Yeah. yeah. How many times have I, you know, I just recently, I was like, what did I put that in this place or this place or that place? And I'm mm-hmm. trying to search through windows, which is oh, pretty yeah. cumbersome. And oh, uh, yeah. yeah, you know, and then, and then end up recreating some of the work only to the next day, find that I'd put it in some other place that was logical to exactly. me at the time. It wasn't anymore. That's a lot of saved work right now. Yeah,
0: there. especially if the search function is good because, you know, technically Windows Explorer has a search function, but if you've ever tried to use it, it's garbage. It's trying to search through way too much stuff and it's super annoying. So if they have a system where they can do that efficiently, that's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um but I think your other point of being able to have something that is basically an ad that's just operating off of your own content that you are putting in there is really interesting. Uh, I agree with your point that uh, the concern for privacy is going to be, well, yes, this is all only coming from my own stuff, but then who has access to it? Because right. it's going to be real tempting for uh, a company like Dropbox to go We could make a whole lot of money if we offer to sell like limited amounts of users' data to other companies for advertising and things like that. So we would really have to watch for that. But uh, at least in its current form, as I understand it, that's a really interesting
1: possibility. And good, bad. I mean, to some extent, I've already decided to trust Dropbox with my data, right? I mean, at this point, Dropbox has access to everything that's on my personal computer because it's all backed up. And so is that a security risk? Yes. Uh, do I generally, tr- you know, keep in mind that really, really, really essential files that are absolutely need to be private probably ought not to be on a computer. <laughs> they probably at this point need to be printed as mm-hmm. a hard copy and put in a safe. Right. Um, and so to some extent, you know, it, it is a risk, but it's a risk that's already kind of built in. It's sort of like Evernote. Mm-hmm. Is your stuff private in Evernote? I hope so, but I don't really have anything in Evernote. Uh, here's a theory, David, and, and this is actually not a bad theory. When okay. I text people, I text people assuming a reporter that doesn't like me would get it and be able to use it. And that just helps remind mm. me not to mm-hmm. lose my temper when I'm texting somebody or say something yeah. that out of context would look weird or something like that. And I think the same thing with Evernote and Dropbox, right? I I just assume whatever I have um, in Evernote and Dro- Dropbox, if this whole thing became public tomorrow, how much damage would it do? And, you know, from my perspective, it would be inconvenient – and, uh, but it's, you know, there's nothing that, that I think it's a good rule to not put anything in there that would be, mm-hmm. you know, the passwords to all of my financial institutions or something like right. that. It's probably not a good idea. So. Right. Yeah. Or if you're going to have some sort of
0: digital file of that, put it on a drive that you then keep away from your computer that is not connected right. to the internet, it's not getting right. backed up and you put that in a safe.
1: Right. I, I, that's exactly what I do. Flash drive, see you know, external, external hard drive, put it in a fireproof box somewhere. Absolutely. Uh-huh.
0: Uh, see, Jonathan, this is just making the IT manager and me happy because we also, as a bonus for our AI podcast, we get to educate people about how to safely and securely store their files. This is making me happy.
1: Well, I just want everybody to know that David's not just happy about that. He's happy that I said it because David generally <laughs> thinks that probably the biggest security risk for Unbound is the person on the other side of this microphone. And so I think he's, he's trying to recover his uh, – his from his surprise here and finding that I might do something somewhat secure when it comes to digital world. So, yeah, a surprise yeah, a to be sure, but notice. a welcome one. Yeah, <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> well, so, David, that's my kind of cool piece of technology. Uh You've got something that's kind of making a lot of headlines here, and uh it gives us a chance to enter. Kind of nerd world, and uh, we've talked about Star yes. Trek before, but I don't know that we've hit Marvel yet with AI. So have at it. Yes, yes.
0: So Marvel Studios uh has a little bit of a controversy on their hands with their latest piece of media that they're releasing. So uh, for those of you who might not be up to date on the latest Marvel uh, sh- uh media, they have a new series that is coming out right now uh, called Secret Invasion. Uh, it's a little bit unique in the Marvel universe in that it doesn't have any superheroes. It's uh, fairly grounded show that focuses on Samuel Jackson's character Nick Fury and the b- short version of the premise is that there is an alien race that are shapeshifters that can turn into basically whatever kind so, of humanoid.
1: No superheroes but aliens, which I don't know, that's kind of a if we're going to have aliens, it's nice to have a few superheroes running around, but anyhow, so.
0: Yeah, yeah, uh, it's, it's a really interesting premise and basically it's just this whole spy thriller of uh, secret agent Nick Fury trying to like figure out like who is, uh, who's an alien, who's not and trying to like uncover the conspiracy and things like that. And so uh, I really like the show. Uh, the first episode uh, as of when we were recording this came out just last week. Uh, so I think the show is really cool. But what uh, has gotten them into some controversy and what makes it relevant for this podcast is that for the opening credits sequence, so there's a little bit of like the show content at the beginning and then there's an opening credits crawl where they have the lead actors and all of that. Uh, they have it uh animated in a really unique style, and uh, the animation was actually done and created using AI tools. Uh, Marvel contracted a VFX company called Method Studios to do it, and uh essentially they used some form of uh what some might be re- uh, familiar with called stable diffusion to be able to do it uh where essentially they gave the AI a prompt of like an image and uh, then they gave it instructions on what to like what uh, style they wanted that image to be re-rendered in and what they wanted the animation to look like so uh, the whole animation is basically uh, just a bunch of sort of like abstract art pieces that almost look hand drawn uh, kind of changing and morphing uh, which kind of fits with the theme of the show of uh, things that look human not necessarily Necessarily being human. Uh, and it's really, it's the visual style, I think, is at least really neat looking. But you can definitely tell that it's AI if you watch the clip of it, because it's sort of got that like jittery look. To it, where like a bunch of the image elements kind of shift around. And uh, one of the images they have where uh, like half of Sam L. Jackson's face uh, in this style is kind of morphing into an alien. But then like a second nose shows up on the side of his face towards the end of it for no particular reason, just because the A.I. messed up. Uh, Sounds like the
1: opening to a James Bond movie, actually. Yeah. So. <laughs>
0: kind of kind of uh just a, a little bit a little bit more janky uh frankly but uh yeah and so there's the visual style of it that's unique but it's creating a lot of controversy uh just because while AI has been used in uh, content, like big budget content creation for quite some time, whether people realized it or not, such as uh, de aging uh, actors for different roles, uh, this is one of the most obvious uses of it. And so, uh, first of all, before I get into some of my opinions on it, uh, Jonathan, I'd be very curious to hear like what your opinion is of this usage of AI.
1: Well, if I if I'm correct, the controversy is over people saying that AI steals somebody's job, right? Isn't that the is, is, that, is, that, kind, is that kind of the controversy?
0: Essentially, yes. People are upset because uh it's something that they believe uh, you know, that's they are using AI as something that could uh like take over people's jobs, which uh is r- particularly a hot topic in the entertainment industry right now because of the writer strength right. that's going on right now. And that's a major point that writers are contending with is saying that they want to have security knowing that uh, AI isn't
1: going to like replace their jobs. <laughs> I'm, I'm r- trying to focus myself here, David. Uh, there, there's this, this hits a bunch of different things for me. And and mm-hmm. so for the audience, yeah. these might be some controversial topics. Um, first of all, if I'm a writer on strike, I might think carefully about how hard I strike in a world of AI. Uh, if you're pro union, I'm sure that's going to get on your nerves, but, uh, there's a level here of just reality when it comes to, uh, What's going on in the world? And it seems to me that if I'm a writer right now and there's a thing out there that's getting better at replacing me, uh, the last thing I want to do is be a pain in the side of the people that pay me to do the work that maybe they're starting to think to do otherwise, right? I mean, this is – this is reminiscent to me of some family connections in nineteen eighties to uh the steel industry, where I watched a bunch of steel workers strike to protest against cheap Japanese steel. And hmm. the steel companies Reaction to that was we might as well shut down because <laughs> our our striking workers are going to be way more expensive and we're already getting undercut and it just got more expensive we might as well cut our losses now and mm. uh, so it seemed like an ill advised sort of thing but I don't I don't know much of the intricacies of the strike um, what struck me is kind of odd about this is that this appears to be about the same as somebody complaining that the actor lost a job because the anim- because somebody animated something. And you would say, well, you know, there's a bunch of animators working, but now there's not actors working. So I, I don't – check me on this, David. Does Chris, is it Christian Bale that plays Anakin Skywalker in the terrible early uh, movies? No, that would be uh, Chris, Hayden uh, Christensen. No, Hayden uh, – it was Christian something. Hayden Christensen. Yeah. Okay, so Hayden Christensen, does he voice that character in the animated Jedi stuff? No, he does not. Right. And neither does uh, Dude the Road Around the World um, on the motorcycle, Obi-Wan Kenobi. Um, oh, uh, Ewan McGregor. You, you know, Greg, Gregor, see, thanks. I do like accounting for these things, <laughs> uh, David. That person's not being, he's not voicing the character in the Clone Wars, right? Mm-hmm. So so could you make the same argument and say, well, this animation came along and is using the images and the characters that were played by the actors in the live events. And, you know, now all of a sudden they don't have a job. Uh, it seems to me the same argument would be, well, you'd. Had actors and you had animators and now they're not doing it. Instead, a bunch of programmers are doing it. And I realize AI hey, might be eliminating some of those programmers as well. But it seems to me to be sort of a strange place to complain about in a world that already has animation. But I, I, that this is yeah, this is me sort of skimming across the top and maybe not fully understanding the whole thing.
0: Yeah, I I see where you're coming from. I think there's a couple of interesting uh, intricacies uh, that I think could be added onto this. Uh, I've listened to uh, a few other commentaries on the specific issue that have uh, helped me to kind of understand a bit more of why there's so much resentment to this. Uh, I think a large portion of it, and the reason that a lot of artists are very upset about AI is because of the fact that AI in how it currently, how it has to be trained, has to get data, has to get already existing art and things that are already out there in the world to train off of, to be able to use, to take in and then create something new based off of it. And so a lot of artists are concerned because their art that they worked on and they created is getting basically taken and used and without them giving permission for it to be able to have that happen and then is suddenly being used to create something different. And essentially they're saying like, a good part of it is what is happening a lot now in the industry is that there are animators and writers who are coming onto projects and instead of them having saying, Here's like the source material for a book that we're wanting to create a show or a movie off of. Write a write an initial script off of it, then write a second draft and third draft, and basically have a writing team take it all the way to the end. Now what's happening is that they are saying, hey, we've taken the source book, we fed it through an AI – Now here's what the AI came up with. Now you make a second draft and a third draft. And essentially how the artists are seeing it is that they are, it's being used to pay the artists less because they don't have to put in all of the work of writing that initial draft because they're getting AI to do it.
1: Well, I can see where that'd be concerning. Um, I guess I'd be more concerned if I remembered a bunch of artists and uh, content creators and writers saying the same thing about their blue collar brethren when the same thing happened to them. Right. Like, I mean, so that, so in mm. some sense, this is exactly what happened. So a blacksmith was in the town square intimately connected to his community, uh, making things one off a time, you know, taking a hunk of metal, stick it in the fire, wanging it with a hammer until he made a horseshoe whatever it is. And then all of a sudden a factory came along, you full, you feed molten steel in one side, it gets poured into molds, whacked with a bunch of steam hammers. And then mm. all of a sudden, the next thing, you know, um, you've got a, a, you know, thousands of horseshoes being made and you don't need, uh, the blacksmith in the middle. Um, and so that's true. And there's less room for blacksmiths in today's world. It seems to me, this is a bit of a, a, a bit of a repeat of the same thing. It just is a little different now because instead of physical objects, we're talking about. Creativity, and I was thinking. Yeah. yeah, go ahead, David. So,
0: yeah, th- I, I was gonna say, I feel like that's really the part that feels like the difference is because it's one thing if it is just the manufacturing of a, an in, of an inanimate object, and to some extent, I you, like you can make the argument, for example, in like like knife making, for example, there are people mm. who do that by hand, and that is absolutely a form of artistry. And even though like there's mass produced knives out there that are you know going to be fine for 99% of people. There's still a small segment of people who see that as like absolutely an art form. And I think that's absolutely correct. Uh, Whereas this is much more focused on being an art form in, in writing and in having like a CRE in creating art in uh, movies and TV and things like that.
1: Is that entirely true though? Because there's whole industries that crank out serial Westerns, serial, how many, how many Star Trek books are there? I mean, I know they're not popular anymore, but back in the, you know, in the 90s and stuff like that, you could go into a, and I know this is super dating and David, you might not understand all this stuff, but you could go into a a Walden's books in a mall and there'd be an entire shelf that would have like 120 titles of Star Trek, right? And so and in reality, what was happening is that you had a, a a you had an industry and a factory turning these things out. There's multiple writers. Uh they were working on stamp scripts and they were basically fleshing in characters and they're writing the pieces really fast. Uh, Bobsy twins are written this way way back in the day. Um, and, and I don't know that there's I'm trying to think of there's equivalencies now. Um in terms of yeah, you probably have some graphic artists, uh, graphic novel type stuff that's the same thing. But yeah, you got these serial books. Um, and so there's a way to do that. It's mass-produced, but it's clearly low quality. It's the same thing Uh again and again. It's the same script, sort of recycled. And then there's a person that comes down and sits and writes a brand new science fiction book. And that's a whole different level, and it's a whole different level of quality. Right. Uh, So so anyhow, it seems to me there's maybe some parallels here that this has, has existed. There has been sort of factory produced creativity, but then there's always room for that person that comes along and does something new. So,
0: Yeah, yeah. And I guess uh, at least part of the concern, well, from one aspect is that as of right now, no, AI is not good enough to be able to on a high level. I I don't think that uh, Marvel would be comfortable having their uh, next Avengers saga being completely written by AI. Right. It's just nowhere near good enough to actually be able to do that, not by a long shot. Um, but that that is a concern a, at like at some point in the future. So I think there's a part a part of that in people's minds. The other uh, interesting part about uh, the concern for artists in this industry is that specifically in the entertainment industry, uh, it is becoming far far less uh, writers and people who are in full time paid positions, and it is becoming much much more of a gig economy. And, uh, it, it has become a lot more challenging for people to make full steady careers with benefits out of doing creative work like this because uh, essentially studios are figuring out ways to, instead of having work done by one full-time person, just have a few gig people who are just there on contract to be able to piece it together. And maybe the work suffers a little bit, but in the long run, it ends up being cheaper for the producers of the, of the movie. And so uh, as a result, uh, a lot of the people who are pursuing these careers are having to uh, try to essentially find gigs that are not paying them what they're worth because uh, they're essentially having to compete in an industry that is trying to cut corners and cut costs as much as possible. Uh, And what they're seeing is that AI is making that even more convenient for the people that are already underpaying them. And that's a lot of what the motivation is for the writer's strike, it seems like.
1: How much email do you want to get, David? You want to get really controversial here? Oh, boy. Okay. So I think that I'm enough of a capitalist, and I'm not an an economist, but to think that at some level, money and where money flows is a lot of things, but it's primarily a great indicator of value. Mm. So in other words, Mm -hmm. you know, I tell people all the time, it's great to volunteer, but if you really want to learn quickly, you need to go get paid to do something because people won't pay you unless you're delivering value that makes that payment worthwhile. And so it's this really interesting system of sort of parsing out where value is. And so I'm going to say something that people are going to really find offensive, I think, and, and I'm not trying to be offensive to people. But I think if that is indeed the case, and I think that that's not some nefarious scheme. I don't think that that's like some shadowy, you know, backroom players. I think that that's kind of a, it's a measurement of human nature and it's a measurement of human desires and wants, and it's a it's a gauge of human uh, ability, right? So I think that it kind of, you know, there's a fascinating story. I can't remember the, who wrote, it. it's called I Pencil, and it talks about, you know, all the super complicated things that have to come together to make a pencil work. And mm. so, and they do because they're, it's not like somebody is. If you think about this, right, you know, you have to have, at the time, this is written, you had to have rubber trees and rubber had to be harvested and made into erasers. And you had that as had ore melted down and made into the steel for the little band that holds the eraser in. you had a trees cut down and then they had to be shaped and cut. You have to have chemicals put together for paint. You have to have lead or graphite mined. And, and then all these mm-hmm. things have to come together and they have to be formed in this one place in a certain way. And then things getting sold, you know, I think that time of this, I it was written, it's sold for a nickel or something like that. And people are saying, can you imagine trying to do that? Like, there's hundreds of thousands of peoples across the world that are all playing a small role in this pencil that you hold in your hand that you paid less than 25 cents for. Uh, isn't that extraordinary? And, and, and can you imagine one person trying to do that? It's a market force that brings it all together. And at some level, it's a market force that reflects value. Okay. Digression, I swear, makes sense as we kind of bring that back. If you bring that back, one of the uncomfortable realities is that the value is not in creativity. It's in distribution. Mm. That it's way harder okay. to get entertainment to a large audience than it is to create something that's entertaining. And I feel like there's people that inherently rebel against that, but then that's the reality. And, and here's, the, here's the cold truth that I'd say that I work with really extraordinary people and extraordinary students. And I and I like to say they're extraordinary, but – and maybe we we work with some better students. But I think that if you go into almost any community – there's a couple people there, not not one or two, like probably a dozen or more, that have the physical ability to be really great famous singers. They have the skill. I think that you, you can find writers that have the ability to write really great, compelling content. You have artists that can create really interesting works, and and, and yet that that's not that is actually a pretty high supply. There's a lot of those. The the trick is to be able to find somebody and be able to sing and have hundreds of thousands of people do it. The the trick is so. There's uh, <laughs> David. I'm gonna ask your help again. Who's okay. the really famous female singer that's like packing stadiums right now? Uh, uh, Taylor are you thinking, Swift, right? Taylor Swift. Uh, isn't oh, it? yes, Swifties, right? Okay. I don't. I wouldn't know the Taylor Swift song if I tripped over it. Okay. okay, right. But here's the fascinating thing. A friend of mine's family just uh, daughters and wife just went to a Taylor Swift concert in New Jersey. And basically like we were just running the numbers and the tickets and everything else, it was something like $55 million a night or something like that was the the amount of stuff. Now, look, I I say, I wouldn't know Taylor Swift song, but I have heard Taylor Swift sing. Here's the thing. I think I know at least a dozen people in my own personal circle that can sing as well as Taylor Swift. I, I don't think that she has, like, I think she's a phenomenal person in terms of her energy and, and the skill that she has to put on a show. I'm not, I'm not, And don't crucify me if you're a Swift fan. I'm not saying that she doesn't have talent. I'm just saying that in terms of raw talent, I probably know half a dozen people that have at least as much talent as she does. The the difference here is the ability to get that talent broadcast on a really wide stage. And so what's interesting here is that I think we have AI coming in and making something simpler. And there's people arguing that there ought to be an inherent value in creativity I don't know. I think you could actually find creativity in a lot of places, and I don't know that it's actually as difficult to find or as exceptional as creatives think that it is. Uh, What's different is finding people who can create really good stuff and then distribute it in a way that lots of people see it, um, which is a slightly Mm. different thing. So I know that's not 100% AI, but I think it's good to keep in mind because as AI comes in and eliminate some of these things, I think what you'll see is the elimination of what was ultimately fairly common talent. And so if you're out there and you're a creative, this should have been the reality for you all along, but you're going to have to be an uncommon talent to be able to make a living with that. And that is always the most job-secure way to go about this. Not to not to, c- to combat advancing technology, not to complain about it, not to form False economic fences against it, but instead to say, "Here's the reality. I'm going to have to be far better than average." If that's the che- that's the cheapest and most uh, guaranteed job security that I have, does that all track, mm. David?
0: yeah, yeah, I think so. It's uh, yeah, it's just incredibly challenging, like you said, to uh, be able to have that level of uh, of talent and then be able to understand uh, how to get yourself recognized and like you said, distribute what you have and get your talent recognized. Uh, On a level that is uh, that is extraordinary, because, I mean, to an extent, that's why uh, talent shows like uh, America's Got Talent or American Idol are so uh, popular is that, you know, you have people who have incredible amounts of talent who are suddenly able to uh, have a large amount of recognition and distribution just by being able to come up and sing in front of uh, a studio audience in front of people who know who
1: are like industry like known quantities essentially. So uh, well, uh, we could get personal with this. I mean, i ask the okay. audience to listen here. Uh, David's got a really good voice. I don't, but David <laughs> does. And we pick on him for it a little bit because we're sort of jealous, but like, tell me that you listen to David on a microphone and you think he's not, and then you listen to people that are getting narration jobs and lots of other things. And David's not better than they are, or at least as good. And I would say that if you're just being straight up honest That, yeah, there's some rare talent out there like a James Earl Jones that just have these really Mm -hmm. unique kind of signature voices, right? But there's a whole lot of people who are getting paid a lot more money than David's getting paid to do alternative ideas who have talent that's the same or perhaps less than David's. So the talent's there, but we'll tell you that it's blame difficult to get it distributed. <laughs> mm-hmm. like, yeah. like we really appreciate you listening to this, but you know we're going to be straight up honest with you and say that there's not hundreds of thousands of you at least yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so you know, finding talent wasn't the hard job. The hard job was getting the talent that was the distribution aspect of it, and, and that may be an important thing for us to recognize as as AI is eliminating what honestly there was a high supply of anyhow talent. Mm-hmm. But what's mm-hmm. left is the distribution and the application, and and that is where the difficulty lies. That's where a lot of the opportunity is. So for every one of these artists that's getting eliminated because, well, they had kind of okay talent, but not world-class sort of unusual talent. Um, Yeah. Keep in mind that, that is, if you can hack the distribution model, that's one way to do it. Or just remember for all those out there thinking, well, all these jobs are getting eliminated. Yes, but the major job still remains. How do you get the right stuff to the right people? Mm-hmm. And that is always where the difficulty is, and that's where the big money is, because it's difficult. Um, so that might be just an interesting sort of perspective on reality that might help you sort of put in context some of this AI yeah. stuff. Yeah, so kind of at least what
0: I'm hearing from it is that it's really just the same problem that has existed and the same challenge that has existed for people who are looking to make careers in creative right. industries for pretty much ever. Forever. It's just – it's a new variety and a new uh, – just an
1: additional – A layer of challenge on top of the ones that already existed. You go back in history and every town had a really good singer. Every town had a (laughs) bard. Every town had a storyteller. Every Mm -hmm. town had people that could play the fiddle and play the guitar. I mean, like that was not unusual at all. What was unusual was the one that got in front of the king and then they got sponsorships and then they got paid to just produce their music. That mm-hmm. didn't necessarily mean there weren't other people, and of course, there's genius talents, there's Beethoven's and box and stuff like that, and I, and that is a different category. But there's lots and lots of people who got paid to create art. That there was lots and lots of people just like them that could create the same art and do it same as just as well. It's just that one had the ear of the king and one had the um, the sponsorship, the patronage of the rich and powerful, and and that was always more difficult than the actual creativity. And I, I don't mean to take away from anybody's creative powers or ability. I just think that humans were made in God's image. And so by and large, we are creative. And so creativity is not rare. Um, and I think that we've got this uh, mixed understanding that we think that creativity is valuable because only a few people can do it. Actually, I think lots and lots of people have high creative talents and they should lean into them more. Uh, the difference is just the distribution.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I think so. Well, I think uh transitioning a little bit uh into some of our more discussion oriented topics uh I think uh we're going to continue on uh the theme of talking about uh a little bit of uh nerdy uh object lessons here uh Jonathan and what you had uh what you had in mind to discuss next.
1: Yeah. So, and I, I don't think we discussed this or if we do, we just touched on it briefly. But, mm-hmm. you know, as I've been trying to think about what does a world look like where I might be able to ask Dropbox or write an article on my own stuff, right? Uh, what does that look like when we have AI sort of integrated into every little thing? Um, and there's all kinds of, you know, people generally go immediately to Skynet or immediately to uh, WALL-E, you know, or something mm-hmm. like that. But I thought that there's a there's a kind of a fictional representation that may be a little more accurate, and that's Star Wars. So I don't consider myself a big nerd necessarily, but I've always been fascinated with Star Wars since I was a kid. And so I, I, I confess to, to knowing probably more about Star Wars than your average person. And so what's interesting about Star Wars is that Star Wars is a world where AI is constant. So, Mm -hmm. you know, droids fly ships and C-3PO walks around and knows more languages than anybody else and all the protocol stuff. And then you have occasional rogue uh, uh, droids. If you watch the um, Mandalorian, you've got IG-88 that goes nuts and tries to kill Mm -hmm. everybody. And, you know, uh, and and so like this is a constant feature. And yet what's interesting to me is that the droids, which is kind of, you know, Star Wars AI – The Mm -hmm. droids are constantly there. They are part of what happens, but the stories that play out are distinctly human stories. And and Mm. I know that that Star Wars is not history and and it's not reality. And so I'm not making that argument. And yet part of the reason Star Wars is so appealing is because it looks like reality in a different place to most people. Mm -hmm. And so think about the fact that like you have Owen Lars, who is the uncle of Luke on Tatooine. Uh, who is just this redneck, backwoods, <laughs> backwater farmer, right? I mean, he mm-hmm. farms moisture, for crying out loud. It doesn't get more kind of bottom-of-the-barrel menial labor. And yet, he's buying a droid to talk to the binary code or whatever the language they use on some moisture evaporator. In other words, for him, that technology is just seamlessly integrated into his very rural, very simple life Vote. You know, contrasted to, say, somebody on one of the main planets in the, in the, in the um, series or in the, in the universe or whatever. Uh, mm-hmm. And so, in other words, it's interesting that, that despite this availability of an advanced technology, it helps, it assists, it occasionally gets in the way. It sometimes moves the plot forward. It sometimes saves the day. It sometimes gets in the way of, and, and puts everybody in danger. But, but at the heart of it, there's still a human story. And it's the humans Mm. that are actually doing the important things and driving this stuff forward. Uh, Even when they're tripped up by a droid or thwarted by a droid, it's still ultimately something human that gets around it. And again, I'm not getting confused here. This is a story. It's an imagination. Mm -hmm. But it's an interesting story because people relate to it because it looks so bizarre and yet so familiar. And I tend to think that it's likely that that kind of reality is a little closer to the reality of constant AI than we tend to think. That Mm -hmm. we're likely to find an AI world where all of us are using it at some level, and it is making us do very different things. You know, the people in Star Wars can jump through hyperspace, and they can, you know, do all these different things, right? And so we can do different things, but it will not fundamentally change the human things that we've been doing all along. Uh, Mm -hmm. So that was sort of the interesting riff I was taking with that, David.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I think uh, I think that really the main takeaway point that I'm hearing from this is that uh, we as humans, when we want to hear a compelling story that we enjoy, we need to be able to relate. To the character, and simply put, an artificial intelligence, no matter how human seeming it is, uh, is not terribly relatable to us. Uh, and so that's why Star Wars focuses pretty much entirely on human characters with uh, with artificial intelligence droids as uh, as assistant characters.
1: C three PO and R two D two are always the sidekicks; they're never the stars. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and i th- I think that as we go forward, I think there's something interesting here. If we believe that we're made in the image of God, then we're creators. Uh, like God is the creator, but we are creators who create in God's image. And as creators, we respond to created things, to new things. So AI, at its at its most powerful right now is always a, a, an amalgamation, an amal, uh, amalgamation? I'm not sure. Amalgamation. It. Amalgamation. Thank you, David. Look at David. <laughs> He's something with all of the references to, to TV characters, pop stars, <laughs> and my pronunciation. I mean, it doesn't get any better than this, folks. Uh, who needs AI when you've got David? Um, an amalgamation, amalgamation, say it again. Amalgamation. Amalgamation. I had an N instead of an M there. Of all the other content. So, so in other words, AI can never kick out something truly original. It's always a, a blending of the things. Now I would argue that to some extent that's true of humans as well, that God created all the original stuff and we reblend it. Yeah. But there's still an order of magnitude that is really, really noticeable between, mm-hmm. you know, basically AI is blending what was blended. It can't blend to the next level up. You know, so, so God Mm -hmm. made, and then we take that and put it in new things. And then AI takes that and put it in new things. Okay. Well, that whatever AI is putting in new things is pretty interesting, but it's not as close to the original sources as where humans are. And so therefore, I believe there will always be a recognizable difference between those two things. AI might create mm-hmm. a really interesting new painting by pulling things together that have never been seen before, but it will pull things together that were all created by humans to create that new thing, where humans were creating, pulling things together that was made by God to create the new thing. And that order of magnitude between those two will, I would submit, almost always be noticeable um, mm-hmm. to some extent. And, and, I, and I don't mean noticeable like, you know, technology is going to get better. It'll be tough to see a deep fake from a real thing, but yet the deep fake will never be able to speak the way a human would. Because it's always going to be pulling together a blend of what the humans already came up with, um, yeah. So, and I think that's that's you see that reflected in Star Wars, right? I mean, like the the droids are always, you know, they're one aspect of something humans put into them that they're playing out, and they're mm-hmm. they're, they're therefore they're always more two dimensional than three dimensional versus the human characters. Mm-hmm yeah yeah and i think uh I think I'll jump off of this and
0: use this as uh, sort of my discussion point and uh continue to draw this parallel to i think uh, that supports this point uh into the sort of other big uh fantasy uh universe which is uh Star trek and I think there's uh we've i think mentioned both a couple times uh previous episodes of the podcast and that there's a couple interesting uh parallels that you can draw here uh the most obvious of which is um uh, in the show Star Trek the Next Generation, there is data. Who is an android and he is, uh, he is an officer on, uh, on the USS Enterprise and he is incredibly intelligent, incredibly capable. Uh, but the reason that he is such a beloved character and is a main character for some episodes of the show. So it uh, it almost sounds like it's going to break uh, our theory here. But the reason that I think that he can be an interesting main character is that he is an artificial intelligence that recognizes that even though he has so many advantages of being an artificial intelligence over humans, he still, all he wants is to be human because he isn't able to fully feel and experience things the way that humans are able to experience them. He's not able to fully relate to a human organic experience. And that is just one of the primary struggles of his character throughout the entire show. And what makes him so interesting is that the fact that he does recognize that and he looks for different ways that he can find uh, new human experiences and try to feel some of the same things that humans feel. And sometimes when he messes up and some of his crewmates are upset with him, he realizes, wait, it's because I don't experience things the same way that humans do. And so I think that's one of the most fascinating cases for how, yeah, uh, ultimately, even he uh, as an AI, even in a uh, fictional universe, is still able to recognize that the thing that ultimately matters the most is humanity and the thing that he wants most.
1: I think it's excellent stuff, David. I think that there's a another parallel to run here. I read this somewhere, and I can't remember where it was. So it's this is not a biblical. Th- this was an interpretation of a biblical thing, right? Uh, mm-hmm. But in this story, the character is interacting with an angel, and the angel is saying that at some level they are jealous of the human, and the human is going, "Why you have all these amazing powers? You live in the presence of God and all these things." And the angel mm-hmm. is basically saying, "I never had a choice to prove my." My, my, uh, allegiance to the creator, I was born into the, I was created into the glory of God and could never see anything else. Mm. But now, now mm-hmm. for those of you who are theological nerds out there, I realize there's some theological holes in that with Satan and all these kinds of things. So just suspend that for a second. But it's an interesting perspective to say one of the things that you see as a weakness is in fact this amazing thing. And I heard another theologian argue that there, don't pay pay attention to the fact there are some things you can never do in heaven. And you say, well, what do you mean heaven's a place you can do everything? No, there's no longer an opportunity to choose in heaven. This is the only place that you can choose Christ. You can, you can do that. And I think there's interesting, based on what you just said, David, what, no matter what's going on with AI, no matter what the headlines are telling you, most of which are way inflated beyond what is actually reality. No matter mm-hmm. whether we get to general intelligence or not, we can have a superhuman, super intelligent, all-knowing in terms of the world's knowledge uh, machine that maybe even controls our lives. That does not change the fact that the machine will still be just processing things that have already been processed. And those things were processed by humans, and it will still not be able to choose. And to your analogy to the Star Trek character, at some level, he knows he can never be fully human. To be fully human is to have that frailty, to have that Mm -hmm. limited knowledge – to have that failure and to be able to come to terms with it and choose about it. And uh, that that's a comforting, perhaps offered as a comforting thought, no matter what kind of scary AI headlines are out there. Yeah.
0: Well, I think that is an excellent note to wrap this episode up on as, uh, yeah, we've uh, talked about a lot of different things that uh, this episode got uh, very nerdy, but uh, ultimately I think it ended up producing some uh, really interesting and thought-provoking discussions. And uh, yeah, uh, for those of you who have stuck around to the very end here, thank you for joining us for this discussion. Uh We really appreciate you guys uh listening to us think through all alternative ideas on uh, AI and all the things going on around it.
1: Thanks for listening to this alternative ideas podcast. Uh, If you really wanna hear about an alternative idea, please check out Unbound's Ascend program. It's an alternative idea about how you can be prepared for your future. Now we can help you earn a fully accredited degree and we can do that in a very different way, but be sure to check out our most recent offering, which is a non-accredited certification program that allows you to get all of the advanced leadership and life skills training and project-based education that comes with our Ascend program but at the lowest price we've ever offered to send because it doesn't come with the accreditation. Now, this is a perfect match for somebody out there who says, I've chosen not to go to college, and you could have a variety of reasons for that, but I do want to adequately prepare for for my future. And if you want to learn more about that, you should go to don'twastethisyear.com where you can listen to a webinar that we've done that will give you some ideas about how you can prepare better for your immediate future.